There are curse words of all different strengths and colors in this episode. If you'd like the beeped version, you can find it at our website, www.duplainmedia.com. Well, if nobody knows anybody, well, then nobody needs to know anybody because we don't value that anymore. I need to create a new password with random numbers and letters, write that down on a piece of paper and hide that from myself. I got sucked into this again and again and again and I use it like a drug. Artificial intelligence might give us the power to create intelligence agents with abilities greater than our own. I scroll for hours on my phone and I feel very depressed and alone actually. From a radio station that doesn't exist, The Social Pulse, I'm also not in love with that name so don't get used to it, conversations and stories shared whenever I can find time. I'm Caleb Duplain. When I was first jotting all my thoughts down and just kind of trying to figure out how I could open this up, I found myself writing a lot about video games. This is something I want to explore more in another episode, maybe something in the coming weeks. But I remember my first ever console was my uncle's Game Boy. After that, it was the Wii. Then my DS. Around that time, the original Xbox. And then, this was a big one, the Xbox 360. And the reason I say it was a big one is because it was the first console that really took hold of all different areas of my life. And I think that's because it was the first console that allowed you to play with your friends. I think the Xbox, the original one, technically did as well, but I don't think I really had that many friends at the time. (laughs) Anyway, with the Xbox 360, I remember I played it everywhere, um, at home. If I went over to a friend's place, I wanted to play it over there. Uh, After school, after my baseball games as a kid, I always look forward to playing it. And because it was such a big part of my life, uh, it was always the first thing that got taken away whenever I was grounded, which was pretty often. Now, this podcast isn't about video games or video game addiction or culture, but in connecting some of the dots with my own story and leading up to social media, I realized. This is really where it all started for me. Video games were the first gray area in my life between fulfillment and procrastination. I feel as I've gotten older, um, it's definitely more and more procrastination. There's just something about video games as a kid, and I can't quite place it. Um, It's not just the fancy new consoles and the games and the graphics, but the social buzz all of these created was an epic of its own. I really felt at the time there was nowhere else to be, there was nothing else to do. Um, Getting your hands on the new game or console was the thing. I noticed as I got older, like into my teenage years, um, in some ways it was less about the game and more about the community I was a part of. So like just fitting in with everyone else who was on the game. Entering my college years, I noticed it was like more about my own personal performance. I just wanted to get in this flow and get really good at it. And I would play obsessively in hopes of just getting better, becoming a higher rank. And the thing that actually makes me a little sad to think about is 
unlike my childhood years, um, this recent time, it's all just a blur. Like I don't remember almost anything of it. This reminds me so much of social media. Just like video games, I remember so vividly my first experience with it. The first platform I really got hooked on was Vine. First, let me hop out the motherfucking Porsche. I don't want to if that ass. You got a bae? Or no, you trying to date? Abraz on fleek. Oh my god, he on X Games mode. Why the fuck you lying? <laughs> Why you always it's so stupid, but ask pretty much any older Gen Z kid or even early millennial. Hi. They'll tell you it was the thing. I'm John Cena! And similar to my first experience with video games, my first experience with Vine is something I remember super vividly. I remember I was over at my childhood friend's house, and it was a sticky Florida evening from what I remember. I think we were out in the front yard playing basketball or whatever other sport we sucked at. I can't remember who, but someone pulled out their phone, and the first Vine I ever saw was a Toy Story voiceover parody. The original clip was just some argument between Buzz and Woody. I think they were lost and they were blaming it on each other. But instead, it was dubbed. No punk ass need to stay away from my girl. Yo, girl, ugly! It's so weird to look back at these decisive moments and kind of see how I was influenced. Not by that video in particular, but by the platform. I remember developing such an immense fascination with making videos. It could have been anything. I'd film my dog running around in the backyard. My Beyblade battles, if you remember those, stop motion. I mean, it was just this wonderful new way, especially as a kid, to document how you thought life could work when you toyed with time or movement. Now, skip ahead a decade. Here I am. I'm 21. I own a video agency specializing in short form and documentary filmmaking, and it's treated me really well. Except I've realized over the past year or two I've developed a bit of a disdain for my industry, and I'll get into why here in a second, but it has to do with artificial intelligence. AI obviously isn't new. It's been around for decades. Um, but for some reason, and I'm sure you've noticed this, it's really blown up over the past year. It feels like every email newsletter I'm on is mentioning it, Everyone is talking about ChatGPT and AGI. And although, like I said, the technology has been around and there are plenty of companies using it, people are starting to develop these little tools for the public to use, like ChatGPT. So anyway, around the time I'm noticing this, just by chance, I started reading more about marketing. So a lot of really great books by Seth Godin and also some stuff on philosophy. There was one book in particular that really stuck out to me called What We Owe the Future by William McCaskill. And I've talked about this on my Instagram a couple times. I actually tried to get William here on the show, um, but his assistant got back to me and basically let me know they wouldn't be doing PR until later in the year. So stay tuned, this could happen. I could try to give you my messy summary of his book, but he actually has a TED talk and that would do a much better job of explaining his philosophy. This is a graph that represents the economic history of human civilization. William here brings up this moving blue graph on the big screen, and it's showing the world GDP per capita over the last 200,000 years. So basically the economic impact of each individual person that was alive at any given time. And it's sitting right around $1 per person for the majority of human history. 
And as he speaks, it's nearing closer and closer to modern day. There's not much going on, is there? For the vast majority of human history, pretty much everyone lived on the equivalent of one dollar per day, and not much changed. But then something extraordinary happened: the scientific and industrial revolutions. And the basically flat graph you just saw transforms into this. He's right. It does transform from one dollar per person to seven thousand dollars per person. More actually, the graph just looks like a right angle. What this graph means is that, in terms of power to change the world, we live an unprecedented time in human history, and I believe our ethical understanding hasn't yet caught up with this fact. The scientific and industrial revolutions transformed both our understanding of the world and our ability to alter it. What we need is an ethical revolution, so that we can work out how do we use this tremendous bounty of resources to improve the world. William goes on here to talk about the program him and his colleagues have developed called Effective Altruism. So, essentially, exploring the question: How can we do the most good? Is it worth doing the most good? How do we decide what problems to solve first? And he eventually comes around to the topic of the book that really caught my attention. Problems that affect future generations are often hugely neglected. Why? Because future people don't participate in markets today; they don't have a vote. It's not like there's a lobby representing the interests of those born in 2300 A.D. They don't get to influence the decisions we make today. They're voiceless, and that means we still spend a paltry amount on these issues: nuclear nonproliferation, geoengineering, bio-risk, artificial intelligence safety. Artificial intelligence might give us the power to create intelligence agents with abilities greater than our own, but when there's so much at stake, even small probabilities matter a great deal. In his book, he has an entire section dedicated to artificial general intelligence, which is essentially the concept of an AI system so advanced it can understand any and every intellectual task that we humans can, including creating its own artificial intelligence system. So AI that can take its already seemingly infinite knowledge pool and use it to develop an even greater one by itself. This can get so complex and sticky in your head as you try to understand just how advanced it could get after hundreds of years, especially when you consider the graph he shared earlier. But despite how confusing and overwhelming this is, I couldn't help but think the direction this takes. It starts here. The first mass implementation of AI into society, affecting four and a half billion lives every day. Video algorithms, my industry. Video production, paired with the most powerful tool humanity has ever created, in its earliest phases, being used to harness human attention across the planet and profit with data harvesting and advertising. As my best friend Tommy would say, and I'm sure he's listening, thanks. I hate it. The concerning part to me isn't just how it's affecting viewers, although I think we all know that's a problem, but also how we as creators all want to lean into it. We all want the trending audio or the editing techniques 
or the long captions or the hashtags or all these various tools that are said to please the algorithm. It's all people push. And frankly, it just sounds really gross to me. Is that really the only reason we want to make videos? Is to please Instagram's unconscious data center for our own personal benefit? Is that not scaring anyone else? All while these thoughts are running through my head, I was also just feeling exhausted from trying to market my own media company. So I stopped. At the time, I had 900 followers. And I just thought to myself, what do these 900 people need to hear? How can I be of service to them? This is when I started posting my little videos that most people know me from, and it really took off. After six weeks, my audience of 900 was now 150,000. I was so blown away by this because when I first started posting, I figured, I don't know, my initial audience might cheer me on for the first couple weeks and then it would fizzle out. But I thought it was important. And in blowing up so much, I realized, no, this is a conversation that everyone is ready to have. And for some reason, no one is starting. I can't lie, I haven't been without my doubts on this journey. I've had a lot of conversations with people in comments or DMs or in real life, and it's hard to completely understand the effects of everything. Like, is AI really as volatile as I'm suggesting it is? Are algorithms really that bad? Feels like people just use them purely for entertainment. Is there any problem with that? And these are things we're not going to have any concrete answers for until tens, hundreds, thousands of years from now. But that's why I still think it's important to have the conversation now before it's too late. It could be nothing, and I hope it's nothing, but it could also be one of the most pivotal points in human history. And I'd still like to believe it is. With the inspiration of some DIY punk ethos and saying, I write. And I this is Chris Belanca, one of my past filmmaking professors who I still keep in touch with. Chris has always stood out to me as a good teacher because he's one of the few people I know who can so comfortably and completely immerse himself in abstract ideas. And just because of that, whenever I have a new idea, whether it be a project or a film or a study, I like to run it by him. Additionally, he often speaks very abstractly, lots of metaphors. It really takes the artistic side of your brain to keep up with him, and I love that about him. We met outside of a Starbucks for something unrelated, but I couldn't hold back the chance to run this idea by him. You know, the idea of artificial intelligence and video algorithms and the culture around all of that. So a lot of my writing was the equivalent of my grabbing people and shaking them. And uh, not everyone liked that. So as I refined it, I found a kind of a formula, a bit of a balance between my best work was challenging enough, but still friendly enough so that people would move through it. Do you think, do you think that it can exist on like social media? Is it like, what's the line you can draw there? Uh, we'd have to find what the line is. Cause, because that's, that's what it's like. We were just talking about like cat videos. Like it's just something that seems benign. The, it's like, the, the, the benign problem? cat video or the, hey, look at my cute dog. Those are blowing up all over for the same reason they say, like, don't put a baby or an animal on stage or in a movie in a scene next to somebody because no one's going to look at somebody. They're going to just be staring at the, the animal or the baby. Chris is making such a brilliant point right now, and I just need to stop and talk about it. If any of you guys aren't familiar with this concept on film sets, it's essentially if you have a very important scene or something important is going on with the plot or the actors, 
you simply do not put a baby or animals of any kind in the scene because people are going to pay attention to that and not what's worth paying attention to. And this is, oh, this is such a good analogy for the world of short form right now. There are so many important conversations worth having and changes worth making and education worth giving. Just so many different things worth paying attention to. And yet the videos year after year that stack up so many views and likes, it's always the benign cat video or something similar. And it's hard. You're just, you're programmed to pay attention to that stuff. But what is it keeping you from? And I've been wondering this for so long to myself and been having the conversation with others like, how about the benign cat video? Like, is there anything there? And this extends just beyond cat videos. I think people like Mr. Beast, honestly, just most of short form in general, you look at it and you're like, it's just harmless entertainment, right? But I suppose when you weigh that against things actually worth watching, things that will have an impact on your life, and you let that stack across decades, what effect does that have on a generation? <clears throat> it's cute, it's kind of primal, and what do we get from that? I think we enjoy that it's not challenging and that we can just let it wash over ourselves and not really be too committed to it. Or our commitments are built in. The door you're knocking on with these videos is seems like just the right balance of... I'm, I'm, I'm gently shaking you. And an abrasive shake... It's like me coming up to that guy and screaming in his face. He doesn't need that. He, you know what I mean? Even if he ultimately needs that, right now he doesn't need it and he sure doesn't want it. And it's going to take a hell of a lot to tell him he's wrong. One of the things I learned from my father is that, let's say your average white American male and the way they think and the way they interact with people at age 50, 60, whatever it is, for them to really change is downright self-destructive. They would, have, they would be like a sweater unraveling on the floor, and it takes more energy for them to pick themselves up and reform themselves than it is to, frankly, just not touch the damn thing. It's always appeared to me that people having a problem with social media was just this universal thing. I feel like I hear it all the time. People talking about how they spend too much time on it, or they don't like its effects, or they don't like the direction it's taken. Honestly, I don't think I've met a single person who's solely discussed the benefits of it. And this has always confused me and concerned me because so few creators, so few people are actually acknowledging this. It doesn't feel like the platforms themselves are taking accountability in any way, but I wanted to gauge an actual audience. So, during the pandemic, I... Uh, got off my uh, antidepressants and January hit and it was rough so I was on TikTok and not knowing just scrolling aimlessly for hours it actually made my uh, withdrawal from my antidepressants really bad to a point where I thought I needed to get back on them and the only thing I actually needed was to uh, get off of TikTok and get rid of the app. So I did. I asked people on my Instagram story what their relationship was like with scrolling and social media, and I got hundreds of voice messages over the course of 24 hours. This is what people had to say. 
I have been surrounded by influencers and it was so scary to see that they don't live. They just live online, but they don't really live. They don't really do things without recording them so they can benefit from them. When I saw that, it was so scary. Still, I got sucked into this again and again and again and I use it like a drug. So my relationship with social media for the past, I would say four years, uh, got extremely complicated and I am absolutely addicted to scrolling and, well, Instagram mostly. I have struggled with social media for a while now. It happens that I get on and I stay on it for a long time and I don't even realize that I'm using it so much. With scrolling for me, I go on Instagram just to take a break or to find one video or see what a friend is doing. And it sends me down like an hour or 30 minutes or just way too much time. I'll just spend mindless hours on this app. Hugely negative. It's it's a plague of my life and you can't stop. I'm uh, very addicted. Which gets your mind distracted to what you actually came for. I swear, I used to be an ASDAS student. Like, I used to get straight A's and now it's like a self-destructive cycle that I just keep repeating. I stay because of the group chats and without uh, them I'd leave uh, immediately. Even knowing that it's bad, I keep doing it. I just got this problem, you know? Honestly, it just feels like a mouse trap. Because once you start scrolling, you don't realize, and it's like 20 minutes past. Instagram real scrolling as a whole just distracted me from my main goals. It makes me cry and it makes me smile, but I do both of those things without choosing to do them. Go from having a quick laugh, like you said, into spending, wasting two or three hours a day. I feel like I am in endless loop. I hate it. I wanna quit it. It's eating me inside out. It steals your mind and makes you think you're conscious, but you definitely aren't. I need to write, create a new password with random numbers and letters, write that down on a piece of paper, and hide that from myself. I'm like, wait. I realise I'm scrolling for like two hours. My relationship with social media and scrolling, I would consider very strong, very toxic. It's like I'm married to it. And I'll just keep going and I just won't think about it for ages. I'm at a club right now and I'm scrolling through Instagram. I don't know how this works, but I feel addicted. I mean, I've always tried to cut it out, but um, I've failed miserably. Mostly waste my time and it makes my day worse. I'm going to be completely honest. I use it and I do not like it. I spend too much time in it and it takes my entire life away. As you can hear, the results are a little alarming. I should note, not all the responses were negative. There were a few people, and literally a few, who were feeling good about things, feeling optimistic. Um, well, I do kind of get stuck in these like doom scrolling sessions. Little bursts of um, social media activity kind of give me like a way to distance myself from like my work or from school. And um, that's been really viable for me lately. I filled my page with positive stuff. So the algorithm shows me more of the positive stuff. 
it um, helps me to stay motivated. But when I have some, something to do, it's really distracting. I should also note, this set of opinions is probably biased to some extent. If you think about it, most people following me are the ones who are fed up with social media. I point this out because I don't want you to summon the belief that social media is horrible just because a lot of people think so. Especially if you have a good relationship with it. I don't want to ruin that for you. Is it more likely to be a problem because a lot of people think so? I think it's likely. Do I think it's a serious problem? Well, yeah. Does that mean you need to think it's a problem? It's up to you. I should also say, I'm optimistic. I have this hypothesis moving forward that this is something that we can make better and coexist with. My goal really isn't to eliminate social media entirely. I think that's not only impossible, but just not beneficial. I know we as individuals can find a healthier balance. I know creators can be more mindful about what they're posting and prioritize the health of their audience. And I think together, we can start using this with more intention in a way that actually serves us. Would I love to see the platforms themselves taking accountability and actually encouraging this behavior? Yeah, but to be honest, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think we as a community have the influence quite yet to do that, so I'm gonna tackle the next biggest problem, which is how we're using it. And if you couldn't tell, that's the point of the podcast. If my hypothesis is true, I wanna prove how that can be done. I'm not completely certain on how I'm gonna do this yet, just being transparent. I know the way forward is having more conversations like these and pointing out the biases and counter arguments. I am a filmmaker after all, not a radio host, and this episode took me a stupidly long amount of time to throw together, even down to just the software. Like it's all very new, so bear with me. And moving forward, if you personally know any experts in related fields, so psychology, artificial intelligence, philosophy, historians, anything relevant, shoot me a DM at cmduplain on Instagram, or you could tag me on Twitter at the Caleb Duplain. But seriously, I'd love to hear. Feels like a shot in the dark at the moment. I don't know what's going to come of this, but I'll treat it like sonar and hope it works. <laughs>